Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. We are doing a preaching series explaining our vision as a church that we shared in January of this year. If you didn't know, this church was planted in 1997 by a group of people who moved to Bristol, mainly from Brighton. That included people like Alan Judy Shaw and Nick and Sarah Todd, who are part of the Bradley Stokes site, Stuart and Emma Eggleston, Claire Holden, Paul Wolfram, I've seen, uh, and others. Um, initially, they met in the Bristol Flyer pub upstairs in, in, on the Gloucester Road, then in Cotton School. In 2002, City Church North was started in Bradley Stoke, led by Nick Todd that would later become Bridge Community Church. In 2004, Simon Walker moved from Worthing in Sussex to lead this church in Cotton. Around that time, a congregation was started in East Bristol, originally as a church plant called Hope, that later became a site of Bridge Community Church. Now, like any church, we've had our ups and downs. But in the last few years, God's brought together uh, a team that's a combination of long-standing leaders like Nick and Woody and old people like Stuart, who are part of the eldership. Uh, give us a wave, Stuart. And then with, with new, young, fresh blood like Andy Cottingham, who leads the church, and myself. Um, um, yeah. Uh, uh, we felt God leading us to bring those two churches back together to be a church that would seek to reach the whole of the city. We believe God has set before us this vision of helping Bristol believe by reaching the whole of Bristol with the gospel, by restoring broken lives and serving the city, and by resourcing sites and cities through making disciples and training leaders. We're going to be speaking about the three aspects of our vision over the next three Sundays, and I have the privilege of speaking about reaching. Now, have you ever reached for something and kind of missed the mark, or fallen short, or failed miserably? That may relate to different areas of your life. It may be, uh, you know, uh, applying for a job and you didn't get it, or a, a driving test, don't worry Jess, we'll do a response at the end, um, or uh, a, a music exam, or even asking someone out and them saying no, and your life feeling like it's over. I can see some pained expressions. <laughs> now, let me illustrate this with a silly example. As many of you will know, I'm a bit of, the, of a Lord of the Rings fan. And I was one of those children that read The Lord of the Rings, but then I read and learnt all of the appendices in the back of The Lord of the Rings, and then read The Silmarillion. And try I probably knew more uh, Tolkien history than I did about real-world history. I even learnt some of the Elvish language and could, could translate it one way or the other. Yes, that was me. Uh, and yes, I, I, I have been married now for nearly 20 years, so it, you know, I, did, I did progress. Anyway, at my school, there was a quiz about J.R.R. Tolkien and about all of his books. And so 
I was quite a shy child, you may be surprised to know, and, um, but there was this quiz, and uh, so I thought, I could be on a team, and it's actually something I know about, I could do this. And I thought, even maybe I'll, I'll be the star player. So it comes to my turn in the quiz, and all the questions, or most of the questions I get, are about The Hobbit, a book that I don't really like, that I didn't know very well, and I bombed. I completely failed. Thanks for the sympathy, Jess. Um, and it's a silly example, but you know you, you would have your own scenarios like that, where you've reached for something full of optimism, maybe even full of faith, and then fallen short. And it can then make you draw back and think, I'm, I'm definitely not going to try that again. I'm going to play it safe. Yet, we believe in a God, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is a God who reaches. A couple of weeks ago, Andy spoke about the kind of God that we're trying to get people to believe in, helping Bristol believe. Believe in what? Believe in who? Believe in this kind of God who reaches. And he calls us to be a people who reach, who don't settle. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to be looking at a particular church in the book of Acts. Acts is the account of how the good news about Jesus reached beyond Jerusalem and the geographical area of Jesus' earthly life. Acts is written by Luke. It's the follow-up to his gospel. And we're going to use the story of this particular church in Antioch to help us unpack our vision. So we're going to read just three verses this morning from Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. These believers were scattered by persecution. People were being imprisoned, even killed for their faith. We read about Stephen's death in Acts chapter 7. Yet those challenging circumstances actually caused the gospel to spread further. Antioch was about 250 miles due north, almost due north of Jerusalem in what is modern-day Turkey, an area that's sadly so much in the news at the moment because of conflict on the border between southern Turkey and northern Syria. In fact, the site of Antioch is actually only just 50 miles west of Aleppo in Syria, that again has been so much in the news over the recent years. At that time, Antioch was a big city of almost half a million people. It was the third largest city in the Roman world after Rome and Alexandria. Apparently, even Ju the emperor Julius Caesar visited there in uh, 47 BC. It was a diverse city. It was a melting pot of different peoples and cultures. Jews scattered there 
by persecution had gathered there alongside Greeks and other ethnic groups. You get a flavor of the kind of diversity in the church when you read about the diverse leadership of the church at the start of Acts chapter 13. So in size and diversity, it was a city very much like Bristol. And it would later become a very significant church and a base from which Paul launched out on his missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. That's the kind of church we believe God wants us to be, a church for everyone in Bristol. In verse 19, it says, The scattered believers spread the word only among Jews. Why didn't those first believers share the good news with everyone? Why did they speak only to the Jews? In some ways, it may have been an evangelistic strategy. First go to the people who are more open, more sympathetic, and then explain what Jesus has done. In Romans 1 verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But then we see in verse 20 that some men come from Cyprus and Cyrene, which, oh, can we go back to the map? So Antioch up there on the right Uh, Cyprus, the island in the middle, and then down on the left in North Africa, Cyrene. They came and told the good news about Jesus to Gentiles, people not of Jewish origin. In Antioch, it was probably the first time that the gospel came to Gentiles on a large scale. Something within these believers wanted to share the good news with everyone. They wanted everyone to know this life-changing truth about Jesus. So they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I said earlier, we believe in a God who reaches. That's perfectly illustrated in Mark chapter 1. Jesus has had this Brilliant day of ministry, people coming to faith, people being healed, and he he goes to bed, and then the next morning he gets up early to go and pray, and the other disciples can't find him anywhere, and they're looking for him, probably because they want breakfast. That's what we learn if you read about the disciples, you realize generally it's all about food. Anyway, um, they find Jesus, and they go, Jesus, come back. You know, there's more ministry to do. Everyone's looking for you. And he goes, no, no, no. And these are his words. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Elsewhere, he says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Jesus knew what his mission was. And he invites his followers to join him on that mission. When he first calls the disciples, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's this sense of not settling, of taking the gospel to other people in other places. Jesus doesn't want us to just be City Church Cotton or City Church Bradley Stoke. He's calling us to reach the whole of Bristol, both geographically and culturally. We're called to start sites or congregations across the city so that we can reach rich and poor, black and white, university academics and asylum seekers, 
Tolkien geeks and people that read rubbish books, working class Bristolians and the affluent middle class. We want to reach housing estates and we want to reach people that don't have anywhere to live, who don't have a safe place to sleep. And God willing, we'll go further. There'll be people who will take this message to other cities like Bristol and plant churches, just like those of you who are here in this room today who moved 22 years ago to start this church. The church should be, I can't moonwalk, but the church should be like an escalator or a conveyor belt. Pretend I'm not moving my legs. Once you step in, I know, keep going. Once you step in, once you commit your life to Jesus, there should be an inevitable pull towards reaching others. It, it shouldn't be, oh, well, I'm, I'm fine now, I'm safe, everyone else get on with it. But you know what? There is a cost to reaching. Whenever anyone's, when Andy Cottiam stands up and says, let's go again, let's start another service, another site, let's plant a church in that city or go to that nation, it's understandable to feel like, why risk what we have? This is so nice. We have fairy lights and, you know, and, and the heat's on at the moment. You know, it's, it doesn't feel too bad. Don't mess with what we have. We've got a good thing here. Let's preserve what we have. But God doesn't want us to give in to the temptation to settle. He wants us to be big-hearted and generous by reaching other people. John Ortberg who's an American pastor and author, tells the story of a family holiday to Nantucket Island in Massachusetts. Has anyone been there, perchance? The Lindens. Of course you have. Well, they will verify this story uh, later on. Um, anyway, the Ortbergs, not the Lindens. The Ortbergs visited a museum that's devoted to a volunteer organization that was formed around 300 years ago. I'm now worried about these facts. Pete and Sue, Grace, Grace. Um, in those days, travel by sea was extremely dangerous, and due to storms in the Atlantic and the treacherous coastline of Massachusetts, many lives were lost in that area, very close to the shore. And a group of people who lived on that island couldn't stand to think about all those people losing their lives so near to where they lived. So they went into the life-saving business. They banded together to form what was originally called the Humane Society. They built little huts that dotted the shore. Those huts housed boats and rescue equipment, and they were sometimes called huts of refuge. People were posted in those huts all the time, and their job was to just keep watching the sea. And any time a ship went down, the word would go out. They would risk their lives to save every life they could. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somebody was watching. This was a group of willing volunteers. They did it for no money, no recognition, just because they counted every human life precious, and to remind them how seriously they took this task and what was at stake, they adopted a catchy little phrase. Do you know what it was? You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. I mean, you know, a call to action if ever I heard one. 
Now, you would have thought that wouldn't encourage many people to join them, but it did. There's story after story of people who risked their own lives to save others, normally people who were total strangers. Now, over time, things changed, and after a little while, what would become the US Coast Guard started to take over this task. For a while, the volunteers in this society worked alongside the Coast Guard, but eventually, they decided, let the professionals do it. You know, they're paid, they're better trained. And so volunteers stopped manning those little huts. They stopped searching the coastline for sinking ships. They stopped sending out teams to rescue people. The funny thing is, though, they couldn't bring themselves to completely disband, and so that society still exists. They meet every once in a while for dinners, and they hand out awards for things like community service. They get together and enjoy each other's company. They sponsor programs. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. They're not out looking to see if anyone's in danger. They don't get the thrill of risking their lives to save someone. The truth is, that same thing can happen in the church. Over the time, we can forget that we're in the life-saving business. People still gather and enjoy each other's company. They, we have services and staff teams and programs, but churches don't send out teams anymore for people who are drowning. They're not scouring offices and schools, neighborhoods and communities to see if anyone needs saving. It can happen to a church. It can happen to a group. It can happen to an individual. And don't think it can't happen in this church. Don't think it can't happen to you. Whether or not we stay in the life-saving business is in our hands. Jesus is still looking for people who are willing to go into the life-saving business because that is what the church is for. Jesus was absolutely clear about his mission, and he's absolutely clear about what we're called to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. That looks like ordinary believers, you and I, living out our faith in a God who saves. We can so easily discount ourselves, can't we? And think, what possible difference could I make? You know, what, I'm, not, I'm not this person or that person. You know, what have I got to offer? But think about that life-saving society. We haven't talked about any names, but we're still talking about what they did together several hundred years later. Let me tell you about another anonymous believer. I certainly didn't know this story. In the 17th century, a woman was born. She was the 25th child in her family. Still got some way to go, Ivor. Um, she, married, <laughs> she married an older man who was a pastor, and she bore 19 children herself. Wow. She had a very difficult life. She lost nine of her children. They were a poor family. At one point, her husband was thrown into prison for unpaid debts. 
and there was friction in their marriage because her Bible lessons drew more listeners than his sermons. I know the feeling. Um, Yet her life left an incredible legacy, a legacy that impacted Bristol. Do you know what her name was? Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, two of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever seen. One life, however tough, however challenging, however marked by suffering, can have an incredible impact. So back to the church in Antioch. Verse 21 says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. What did that look like? I think that looked like ordinary believers sharing their faith, blessing people, praying for people, serving people, inviting people to their gatherings. A couple of verses later, it says, when Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to Antioch to see what was happening, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. I think we're seeing something of the grace of God this year. We've had a remarkable year. I think we've seen more responses this year than we've seen in any previous year. Something like 17 first-time commitments to Jesus. We had an amazing Sunday last Sunday with four people testifying to Jesus and being baptized in water. Across the sites, number of pe- numbers of people responding and saying, yes, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to put my life in his hands. God's hand is with us, and we're believing that we'll see many, many more people come to know him. So we should be very encouraged. But what can you do? What can you actually be doing to reach people in your life where you are? How can you help someone believe? Well, let's pick out three phrases from these verses. Firstly, in verse 19, spread the word. You can spread the word about Jesus among the people that you know by how you live and speak. Spread the word about what we're doing as a church through city hands and street life. Spread the word about Alpha and the things that we're running. Is there someone that you could invite to the craft beer evening? Is there anyone that you can think of who might like beer or ale that you could possibly invite? Invite them. Maybe invite someone to a carol service. A good friend of ours came to a carol service for the first time last year and then came to church and became a Christian and is now part of our church. This is normal Christian life. This is what we should all be expecting to happen. And as leaders, we want to create more opportunities for us to invite people in. Sometimes low bar, if you'll pardon the pun, things like a a beer night or a quiz night, and and Sundays where we're very, very clear about the gospel and we give people an opportunity for them to respond. Last Sunday was a bit like that. Secondly, speak to people. In verse 20, the people from Cyprus and Cyrene spoke to Greeks also. People outside of their ethnic group. God wants you to reach out and stretch beyond your comfort zone. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 15 verse 20, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. 
Some of us in this church will go to other nations and unreached people groups. But for all of us, say all of us. Say it very confidently, all of us. Very good. All of us should be speaking to people who are different from ourselves. We should be initiating conversations at the bus stop, in the post office, at work, engaging with other people. Don't just stick with the people you know well and find easy to talk to. If we're going to be a church for everyone in Bristol, that has no filters, does it? You know when you put a filter on a website to see, you know, do I want a swimming pool for my holiday this year? Do I want, you know, do I want a jacuzzi? Do I want... You put filters on. A church for everyone in Bristol doesn't have any filters. So go back to the lifeboat. We're not scanning the water to see, are they worth saving? Mm, not sure. Um, do I want them in my club? Nah, I think I'll leave them. Oh, you look good. You've got lots of money. You've got lots of talents. Yeah, we'll save you. No. A church for everyone. We want to rescue whoever we can. Every single person is made by God, is made in his image, and they are precious. God doesn't want a single one to be lost, and neither should we. And then lastly, simply, we can tell them the good news. Verse 20 says, they told people the good news about the Lord Jesus. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone who's not a Christian about Jesus? It's challenging, isn't it? Jess is much better at this than me. She can get to Jesus in about three minutes with a total stranger. I'm, I, I've spent 20 years trying to learn from her. I'm still learning. I've got the L plates on. I feel inadequate. I feel I'm not sure, always sure what to say. It, it, am I pushing too hard? Am I, you know, am I not saying enough? God says in Acts 8, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God gives us his spirit to help us and to empower us. Just over 100 years ago, Evan Roberts, who was the man at the center of the Welsh revival, wrote this. I won't do the Welsh accent. I felt ablaze with a desire to go through the length and breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. And had it been possible, I was willing to pay God for doing so. If we're going to be like those believers in Antioch, if we're going to be like Evan Roberts, then we need the Holy Spirit to set us ablaze. And if we truly believe it's good news, then we want to share it. If you don't believe it's good news, then maybe you haven't fully understood the gospel yet. It is good news for everyone. In our culture, we can view this so individualistically. It's not about me, you know, on my own, with my line, kind of fishing for people. The biblical picture is of a group of people in a boat, laying down nets, and then as a group, pulling those nets in together. How we want to do that is by having vibrant communities of believers all across the city. 
Communities full of the grace of God, full of God's spirit, and full of life. That means friends, families, groups, and communities fishing together, bringing Jesus to people wherever you are, in your workplace, with your friends and neighbors, to your family, and whoever you meet. Or to turn the analogy back, in the lifeboats, pulling people out of the water. God wants us to have the posture of a lifesaver. Not thinking that church life is like being on a cruise and we're on deck on our, you know, on our lounger, but more like we're, you know, we're in the lifeboats and we've got this posture. I'm, I'm reaching down. Oh, I just destroyed something. Um, I'm reaching down not to destroy anything, but to save someone. Now this finds its clearest application in us reaching into another part of the city. We want to launch another lifeboat in Fish Ponds, a site of City Church in East Bristol. Let me tell you where we're at at the moment. Around 40 people have been gathering in that part of the city for the last couple of years, meeting monthly on a Sunday evening and in connect groups. We're planning to launch a weekly service in the first half of 2020 that will be led by the wonderful Ash George. Woo! Pause for applause. We will be starting a process towards that launch. That includes finding a good venue. We've got a meeting at, at a new venue at Chester Park Junior School, just off Lodge Causeway, in a couple of weeks' time, on Sunday the 27th of October at 3.30 in the afternoon. Anyone is welcome to come along and see what's going on. Then at the end of 2019, we're going to survey the whole church to see who definitely wants to be part of that site and who else would be open to getting involved. There is a cost to sending people. I quite like Ash. He's quite nice. You know, I'm going to miss him. We, we, we miss seeing people every week. We miss their gifts. We have gaps on rotors. No! Why, God? Why? We feel like we don't have enough. But we can trust God. And as a leadership, we'll work hard to ensure that the launch of a new site doesn't damage our existing sites at Cotton and Bradley Stoke. And remember, this isn't a church plant. This is an expression of City Church in East Bristol. As a leadership, we think God wants us to stay together to be more effective in reaching. That means we're a family. I don't know about your family, but my family, all five of us, we're not together all throughout the week. There's lots of comings and goings and different activity. But a family care for one another. When one part is struggling, then it's felt by everyone. When one part succeeds, then all parts celebrate. There's never any sense of, oh, it doesn't bother me because it's over there. It's in Fishbond, so I'm not really bothered. No, if one part is struggling, then we all rally around as a church to help. You might be someone here who goes to be part of the new site, or you may stay, but you can still pray and support and encourage those who do go. And whichever part of Bristol you're in, God is calling you to reach out. That's what we're here to do. All of us are here because somebody at some point reached out to you.
Maybe they were friendly. Maybe they invited you to church. Maybe they prayed for you for years, whether you knew it or not. Maybe they pestered you to do Alpha. I don't know. But there's a reason why you're here. It's because someone reached out to you. Think for a moment, who was it for you? Thank God for that person. For me, in my late teens, it was an older Christian who played tennis with me a couple of times and then invited me to do a short course like Alpha. I'd believed in God before, but I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't understand what Jesus had done for me. That was the first time that I understood, and that was the beginning of my relationship with God. Most significantly, God himself has reached out to us in his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, therefore fully human and fully God. Jesus lived a perfect life without the stain of sin, but then in a display of staggering grace, he died on the cross to pay for all of our wrongdoing. If you admit how far short you fall of God's perfect standard and you trust that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are enough to make you right with God, then you are forgiven, accepted by God, adopted into his family, and you can have a relationship with him that starts now and goes on forever. Then you can join the family business, the family business of saving lives, and you can help someone believe. We don't know what the significance of reaching out to someone might be. We have no idea of the consequences. Every interaction, every moment is an opportunity to show God's love, to reach out with grace and compassion. Who knows what someone's day or week, their circumstances, their family, their life, or the rest of their eternity could be changed. We can make a difference in Bristol and beyond. We can help save lives. We can lift people out of terrible situations. We can see amazing transformation of families and communities. Not because we have anything special to offer, but because we can point people to Jesus who can not only save them from sin and death, but completely change their lives. We can help Bristol believe by reaching the whole of Bristol with the gospel. That's why we're going to launch a site in fish ponds. That's why we want more new believers in Bradleystoke and Cottam. That's why we have two youth alphas running at the moment, why we have uh, alpha running in, in, at Bower in Southmead. We want to have the gospel at the heart of everything we're doing, which is part of the reason why we're sharing communion each week to put a spotlight on what Jesus has done for us. As you take bread and wine in a moment, thank God for rescuing you. And pray for someone. Maybe there's someone you'd most love to share this meal with who doesn't, at the moment, know Jesus. Pray for that person. You may want to do it quietly on your own as you take bread and wine. You may want to gather with a group of others and pray together for friends and family that you want to come to know Jesus. And if you're here and you haven't put your trust in Jesus yourself, you can take that step today and share communion. By doing that, you're saying yes 
to Jesus, I believe in you and I trust that your sacrifice for me is sufficient to cover all of my sins. Can we stand together? I'm just going to pray as the band come back and then we're going to share bread and wine. Father, I thank you that you reached out to us in your son, Jesus. Thank you that you're a God who rescues and saves. Thank you that you rescued me, Lord. Thank you that I was lost, but now I'm found, Lord. Thank you that many of us can testify to your goodness and faithfulness. Thank you that you're catching us up in your life-saving business like Evan Roberts and like those early believers, please set our hearts ablaze by your Holy Spirit with a passion to reach others for you. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name.